Warning, this show may contain adult content, language, and humor, and is intended for mature audiences. If that's not you, please stop listening now. Nothing you hear on Sex and Science Hour is intended as medical advice, financial advice, legal advice, therapy, or really anything other than entertainment. Please take everything you hear with a grain of salt. Oh, and if you're hearing us on an affiliate network, the ideas and views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the network you're listening on or of any sponsors or affiliate products you might hear about on the show. Now that all that's out of the way, let's start the show. This is Sex and Science Hour with Brian Sovereign and Dr. Stephanie Murphy. Get your freak on. Happy Friday, everybody. Brian, I just have one question for you tonight. Are you mature enough to handle this show? Am I mature enough? It does enough? say in the disclaimer, if you are not a mature audience member, you should stop listening now. I, I need an adult. I don't... I- <laughs> I don't okay. feel prepared for I'll that kind of responsibility. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, speaking of not being prepared for responsibility, we've got a great show lined up for you tonight. But we're going to actually start out with something that requires a lot of responsibility, a topic that requires mature adults. So <laughs> who should be everybody? It should include everybody who's listening now. Can we get a mature paid adult attention here, please? To the disclaimer. <laughs> uh, I've got an article here that says working from home makes you massively more productive and happier. Now, I like wow. the headline because I work from home. Confirmation bias. Home. This is total confirmation bias going on here, but I don't care. I think it's interesting to discuss. Um, and I think I thought we could sort of read this, read this piece. And if it turns out to be a puff piece, well, maybe we could start a discussion about some of the common criticisms of working from home and why people hate it so much. So You're a puff piece. Yeah. Wait. I know. Okay. Sorry. Where's, where's those mature adults? <laughs> <laughs> Working from home has got a bad rap. Many people seem to think it's a way to avoid hard work by getting out from under management's watchful eyes. Indeed, few pundits seem to object when Yahoo, IBM, and Aetna rolled back their work-from-home policies recently. Indeed, working from home seems like it's heresy if you believe in the collaborative, innovative workplace idea, or as I call it, the let's force everyone to work in an office that looks like a hotel lobby from outer space management fad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that seems to be a trend in Silicon Valley. By the way, this article is from uh, Inc. by Jeffrey James. And uh, yeah, I, I know exactly what he's talking about. Have you ever seen those pictures of the co-working spaces or the offices, the the nouveau offices where it's not a cubicle, it's more like a pod and yeah. they have this space age looking furniture, but they can't spend enough money to get bathrooms for everybody or give everybody like a proper desk and chair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, the open plan office Nazis have it all wrong, according to Stanford professor of economics, Nicholas Bloom. Uh, in his TED Talk, Bloom explains that work from home is potentially as powerful and innovative as the driverless car, and he's dead serious. As evidence, Bloom cites a Sing- Singapore company where half of the staff work from home for four days a week, while the other half came into the office five days a week. Okay, so here's the experimental setup here. This is the science in this article. Okay. I mean, Maybe not the best science, but they're describing an experiment here. So a Singapore company, 
Half of the staff work from home four days a week. The other half came into the office five days a week. Okay. The two-year study, two years they did this, revealed that the employees who worked from home had a, quote, massive, massive increase in productivity, almost equivalent to an additional workday, primarily because of fewer distractions and fewer pointless conversations. Oh, mm. pointless conversations with coworkers. That's a big deal. Um, I, I mean, that's almost like checking Facebook all day. Uh, yeah. <laughs> which kind of becomes your pointless coworker conversations. It becomes when you your water cooler. Becomes yeah. Your water cooler. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, a few like professional groups on Facebook for like voiceover actors and narrators. Cause that's what I do all day. I'm a voice actor. So I'm narrating audiobooks. I'm recording commercials and YouTube videos and stuff. Yeah, sometimes podcasts, usually not, not quite as often because podcasts don't quite pay the bills like uh voiceover work does but i'm in a lot a lot of narrator groups and stuff like that and that becomes uh the water cooler for everybody who's in it i can see it plain as day yes <laughs> and what about you brian i mean you do a lot on social media you're promoting your show and and all the stuff that you do yeah you know though i'll tell you because so the thing is when i worked in corporate america shall we say um I was never a water cooler kind of guy. Yeah, you know? me neither. I just <laughs> didn't want to be there. I wanted to get out as fast as possible. Right. I mean, so we have the fortunates of, you know, we live together and, you know, so we could just talk to each yeah, other. Yeah, and we literally do have a water cooler. Well, actually, it's not really a water cooler. It's, it's more Berkey like a water filter. Alex Jones water filter <laughs> that filters out the fluoride because, yes, I am hashtag crazy. Um, <laughs> I, I just I'm taking a gamble that uh, I don't want fluoride in my water. How about that? <laughs> sure. I don't think you should be dosed with something. Okay, this is a total tangent, but I don't believe in fluoridating water because I don't think you should do be dosed with something based on how much water you drink. There's a lot of things that people sure. suggested, oh, we should put in the water, but that just makes me nervous. I mean, I, not that I'm like a tinfoil hatter, but I filter it out. It's, I consider it junk, like floor, like uh, chlorine. Yeah. I don't want it in there. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree with you. That's why I have an Alex Jones water filter. And by the way, <laughs> if you want a Berkey light filter, you want to use the same water filter as we have, go to stuff.sexandsciencehour.com and you can find one on Amazon. Type in the big Berkey. <laughs> through our link. <laughs> the big Berkey, yeah. Anyway, so, um, you know, they, they're saying that people who work from home are more productive because they have less distractions and less of those pointless conversations with coworkers. Now, yes, I, our conversations are never pointless. No, our our conversations always have a point. And they're always very the deep. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, just kidding. We always have a point on the show, too. But fewer distractions. I mean, I really believe when you don't have to, especially for women, there's so many expectations of how you're supposed to look in a professional environment. You know, you're supposed to spend a lot of time doing your hair and makeup and dressing and looking the part. Yeah. You're like putting on the suit. And when you can work in yoga pants with your hair in a bun and no makeup, it actually saves quite a bit of time. I yes. mean, I, for me, it probably saves an hour and a half every day to not have to get ready for work. Sure. I don't have to shave every day. And commute. I mean, yeah. And when you factor in the commute and then you also factor in perhaps the time it takes to pack a lunch in advance, if you're someone who packs a lunch, like that starts to add up and you save a lot of time. And money. Sure. So the work from home employees also tended to remain in their jobs longer, thereby decreasing employee turnover, which, of course, drains management productivity and results in a loss of skills and connections when an employee quits. So they're happier. So they're staying at their job longer. Yeah, I'll tell you, I have friends who are also part of the stay at home kind of work life and they get excited. And this is maybe the grandest miracle of the stay at home worker. They get excited about conferences. 
because oh, they're yeah, getting out of the house. Oh, yeah, because he finally gets some social interaction. Yeah, I mean, and you're like excited. You're like, yeah, I am so ready for this microwave sales convention. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, they, they are good to go. Yeah. So, I yeah. haven't started hitting the voiceover conference circuit yet, but that's something that's on my list. I'm, I'm sure. planning on doing that this year. I think I'm going to go to a women's one first. Um, so I'm excited about that. But another benefit was actually that it keeps people from getting sick because they're not around people who are sharing germs. It's a big problem. Like when employers don't offer paid time off for sick days, mm-hmm. people go to work because they're like, well, shit, I'm sick, but I have to work or I'm not going to get paid. And so they come into the office with a cold or the flu, and then they end up fucking sneezing and spreading it to everybody else in the office. And then everybody else loses productivity because they're sick. So it decreased the company's overall healthcare expenses as well and reduced sick days and absenteeism because people weren't spreading their germs. Right. So the experiment was so successful that this company instituted work from home throughout the company, which also as a side benefit allowed the company to grow without adding expensive office space. So why don't more companies do this? I think there's just people have a bias against working from home because they're like, I don't know, it's an old school attitude that's ingrained. They they're used to having to go to school or their parents had to go to work or they had to go to work. So they think everybody else should, too. But I mean, I really feel that I'm always interested in more ways to live a better, happier, freer life and working from home, making that decision to change to working from home has been one of the biggest pluses in terms of my personal happiness and freedom. So, okay, just real quick. Uh, one company in particular is an example, Yahoo. They started, okay, now that company just got bought out by, it's, it's done. Yahoo's done, okay, because they're, they're owned by Verizon. So um, they started this where they were having everybody kind of work from home. And I think, and some other people think that they bought into this research, but now Yahoo is the research to say some businesses, this doesn't work because the fact that not everybody was together and collaborating and really being real time with their ideas is what caused that company to completely fall apart. Um, huh. So like I mean, you don't have the same teamwork. Now the alternative, the flip side of that, that can happen is telepresence with like Microsoft HoloLens or something mm-hmm. where that could replace the fact that you're not in the same space because that creates a virtual space. Right. But we're not there yet. But it seems like there is something missing when you're not in the same room with people. And there's a lot of reads and everything going on between a group to where they come up with ideas. So depends on the job, I guess, is my point. Well, it depends on the management's ability if they need collaboration and teamwork to foster an environment where people can collaborate online without necessarily having to be in the same in person. Yeah, but I don't think the technology exists yet to where that's like. Well, what the about best. like Slack? I mean, I hate Slack, but I, yeah. they say it's good. No, right. I mean, it's fair because I'm a solopreneur. I own my own business and I'm the only employee and the CEO. So. Yeah. I think by, I think overall, this is the best thing to do. And I think in the future, the technology is going to exist to where this is totally possible and viable and you never need to go to an office because your office will be your headset, like the Microsoft HoloLens or something. Will you put on like a little helmet? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> wow, but, literally. Yeah, but yeah, literally. But we're not there yet. And so I think some companies, they would, just like Yahoo, they'd fall apart if they So you don't think off. it's just old school, outdated ideas? You think there's good reasons that companies want employees that to be at an office? Some companies do. But then, I mean, but again, it's a huge conversation because are those companies, is the real problem the fact that those companies are too large? Yeah, probably. But mm. because of their size, you kind of need those tight-knit groups to come together uh, mm. in real time every once in a while. 
Well, I don't know. All I'm saying is you may want to look into it. And if your job depends on collaborating and you hate working in office, maybe look into changing careers. Absolutely. More coming up. This is Sex and Science Hour. Hey, everybody should get on Facebook right now. <laughs> if you have Facebook. Yikes. If you're a non-booker. <laughs> Wait, there was more to that statement. If you're if you're a non-booker, make a sock. I don't care. Use your friends. Go to the search bar and type in Sex and Science Hour podcast community and you can join our personal Facebook group and you can interact with other listeners, meet people, mingle, suggest show prep, see pictures of us recording the show like we just posted a minute ago in the Sex and Science Hour Facebook group, Sex and Science Hour podcast community in Facebook. It's still being built up and it's still increasing membership, but there's going to be a lot of great stuff going on. So hope to see you there. Now back to the show. This is Sex and Science Hour. Welcome back to the show. We are in segment two, and we are jumping right into the science here on Sex and Science Hour, because that's what we do. Um, so this is something that I have always wondered about, and I saw an article come across my desk this week, and I just had to put it in the show prep, because this is a fascinating topic to me. This is from the New York Times. Do egg donors face long-term risks? When patients consider a medical procedure... Wait, 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 wait. Do you mean like people that like donate grade A brown eggs or what kind of eggs are we talking about? That would be chickens, Brian. That would uh, be We're chickens. not talking about chickens. We're talking about human beings. And there are lots of reasons that human beings would donate their eggs. Yes. Maybe they're don- if they're born with eggs, if they have eggs to donate, um, you know, they may want to give them to a couple that wants to have a baby that needs an egg. Right. To do that, they may want to freeze their eggs and donate them to their future self so that they can have a baby later on down the line. Okay. Mm -hmm. They may want to just take fertility drugs so that they can get more eggs coming out so they can have a baby now. Um, But all of these procedures are kind of similar in terms of what's involved. They have to take drugs that stimulate the ovaries. And then in some cases, if they're donating the egg to another person or to their future self, the eggs have to be harvested through an invasive procedure where they make a little cut in your abdomen and then suck out the eggs. Yikes. That gives a whole new meaning to the phrase, go suck an egg, doesn't it? (laughs) Oh, shit. I never thought of it that way until just now. I am so sorry. <laughs> Let's continue, please. Okay. So that's what I mean when I say egg donors. Yes. Um, and now I always thought that maybe, you know, what are the long-term effects of this procedure? Taking drugs to stimulate your ovaries. Normally when women have a cycle, you know, they usually only release like one egg from a, an alternating between ovaries each month. Mm-hmm. But if you take these fertility drugs you can release like a huge amount of eggs, like several dozen at a time or something. I don't know, maybe a dozen, but more than one every two months from the same ovary. I have some crazy visuals in my head right now. All right. Well, I mean, that's what the drugs do. They hyperstimulate the ovaries. Sure. My mom took fertility drugs. I am here because of fertility drugs. So I'm very grateful for them. Maybe like a bunch of eggs. Maybe it does. Uh, (laughs) But my mom took fertility drugs and, she said that she remembers how her ovaries felt. She said she felt like she was walking around with two grapefruits in her abdomen because her ovaries felt that swollen. And every time she took a step, she could feel them. Wow. So yeah, it's not fun. And they, these hormones, you know, make you, 
they have lots of effects on the body. Sure. And people do it because they want to be able to have babies in the future or they want to have babies now or they want to be able to give the gift of life to somebody else who they're donating their egg to. Or maybe they just want money because they're a poor college student and what do they have? They're young and fertile. They've got eggs. They're going to give it to somebody else. Right. Right. They got a high SAT score. So they're going to donate their egg. <laughs> um, they do it for all kinds of reasons and it's their choice to make. But the thing that I always wondered about is what are the risks? What does this do to your body long term? We don't really know because these drugs have not been around for very long. And I think that there's a lot of ads and like college students, they get advertised to donate your eggs. Hey, donate your eggs, they said. You'll, we'll pay you $10,000, they said, or maybe less in some cases. Sure. Um, <laughs> freeze your eggs, they said. I've had somebody tell me, now, I, I don't want to have children, right. and I know that, but I've had some women tell me that I really should freeze my eggs. And yeah. I get annoyed when that happens because it's not very, they're not hearing my preferences and my choices, and they're, they're not frankly being choices, a little yeah. bit nosy, you know, getting all up in my business. But they say, you really should freeze your eggs as though it's just nothing. As a, oh, it's, you know, all you'd have to do is freeze your eggs. Well, no, it's a surgical procedure to harvest those eggs. And before that, you have to take drugs for weeks. Who knows what these drugs do to your body long term? Who knows if the eggs are even viable years later when you want to use them and take them out of storage? Uh... Who knows if it's even better than just trying to have a baby later in life if you wanted to do that? I mean, it's not a trivial thing, but treat people treat it as though it's trivial. And I think part of the reason for that is because there is literally nothing known about the long-term side effects and risks of, of egg storage like yeah. this. No, of taking the drugs to make, oh, to make more oh, eggs come out. Sure. Um, of, nature has a way of sort of getting revenge on us, I guess, when we try to <laughs> fuck with her. She's a vindictive bitch. No, I'm just kidding. Wow. <laughs> I'm kidding. But, you know, what... So many times humans try to get the better of nature and we try to manipulate stuff to our favor. And, you know, that's great. Technology is great. But there are often consequences that come with that that we don't always intend. You know? Sure. So let's read the article here from the New York Times. Do egg donors face long term risks? When patients consider a medical procedure, they may be told there are no long term effects. But unless such effect. Oh, sorry. They may be told there are no known long-term effects. This is by Jane Brody, by the way. But unless such effects have been systematically studied, that does not mean there are no long-term effects. So just because there are no known long-term effects does not mean that there are no long-term effects. Sure. That's a major concern for Dr. Jennifer Schneider, mother of a three-time egg donor, Jessica Grace Wing. Ms. Wing was a tall, lean, attractive, athletic, and musically talented Stanford University student when she decided to donate her eggs to help pay for her education. Through her multiple donations, five healthy children were born to three formerly childless families. When her mother asked if egg donation was safe, Ms. Wing said she was told it was. What she did not know at that time was that no one had ever looked beyond the short-term effects of the many hormone injections needed to stimulate the release of multiple eggs at one time. Four years after her third donation, Ms. Wing, then 29, learned that she had metastatic colon cancer. Despite the best available treatment, she died at 31 in 2003, oh. just days after completing the music for an opera called Lost that was presented three weeks later in New York. Oh, 
Ms. Wing's cancer may have been totally unrelated to her egg donations. But given that Ms. Wing had been a health-conscious young woman with no family history of colon cancer or genes associated with this disease, Dr. Schneider wondered if the extensive hormone treatments her daughter had undergone might have stimulated the growth of the cancer, and if other egg donors might also be at risk. Alas, she soon discovered it was impossible to know because no one was keeping track of the medical or psychological fate of egg donors. Once donors walk out the door, they are essentially lost to medical history. Dr. Schneider began vigorously advocating for establishment of an egg donor registry that could benefit not only the thousands of healthy young women whose eggs help others get pregnant, but also the growing number of women who want to postpone pregnancy and choose to have their eggs frozen for future use. But 14 years after her daughter's death, there's still no one tracking the fate of egg donors. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention collects information on in vitro fertilization, but not on those who donate their eggs, either anonymously or to family members or friends unable to get pregnant with their own eggs. There are not even reliable data on the number of egg donors. The best statistic I could find was that the number of donor eggs that were used for it was the number of donor eggs that were used for in vitro fertilization, which increased from 18,306 to two, in 2010 from 10,801 in 2000. So there's more egg donated eggs being used for IVF for in vitro fertilization, but we don't know how many eggs does the average donor contribute? You know, how, who are the donors? What happens to them? Nobody is keeping track. Nobody gives a flying shit. What happens to these women? And they might, there might be serious long-term health effects, but nobody knows. Sure. I mean, it's tough because, you know, again, and the article was cautious to say correlation isn't necessarily causation, right? No. Uh, but regardless, this smacks awfully close of how, you know, studies in, you know, women's pleasure. Like literally, you know, the genitalia, mm -hmm. orgasms and all that. Oh, yeah. Nobody cares. Nobody, Nobody cares. Says women's pleasure. Right. This is all stuff that's only very recent that it's been researched women in any depth. Women are kept in the dark about their bodies. I mean, uh, so many women don't even know when they say vagina, they're not. <laughs> they mean something totally different. They might say like, oh, that woman has a tattoo on her vagina when they mean the she vulva. has a tattoo across her mons or, or something. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, right, right. <laughs> I yeah, heard that, that the other yeah. day. Oh my God, did you see the tattoo in that, on that woman's vagina? Well, no, and neither did you because <laughs> it wasn't on her vagina. Because your head wasn't in there. Uh, anyway. <laughs> they were talking about a woman who was like wearing a bathing suit. Yeah. And you could see it like across her groin, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it, this just feels like a continuation of the what really is the abstract policy in medicine that women are just baby makers and do whatever it takes yeah. to make sure babies are getting yep, made they're disposable. Yeah. And don't, don't care about pleasure. Don't care about health. Don't care about any of that shit. Just make sure they keep popping out, uh, you know, you know, little stomach parasites and, or I'm sorry, babies. And, uh, you know, th that's, that's really what this feels like. Um, yeah, I agree. It feels definitely, um, misogynistic to say the least. Sure. But I mean, I, I guess I shouldn't be surprised. But the other thing is, it's like these egg donations are marketed. And then the article goes into this. Um, they're advertised really heavily to college students. And you can get, oh, you can get paid $10,000 for each donation. It's very tempting for college students who need to pay for college mm. or for have debts or whatever. Um, you can even get paid more if you have certain qualities, like if you're 
of a certain ethnicity that the parents want or well, if you have a high test scores or something like that showing that you're intelligent well there's some some twisted incentives in that and it being like geared towards college people because that that kind of hints at well you know like the banks have to know they want to do whatever they can to guarantee that they get their money back for all these loans that they give out right or whoever gives out the loans wherever it comes from it might not necessarily be a bank um yeah so here you go kids here's a here's a way to to you know, make a few grand or something like that. And that's an awfully twisted incentive. And obviously you're not going to want people to know whether or not there's health risks involved because right. then that's going to affect your bottom line. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. There's, a, there's a lot of really that, that's, that's the thing here that I'm getting is there's a lot of screwy incentives that don't lend towards having actual concern for the health of the person doing the donating of the eggs. Yeah. Uh, and here's one more interesting tidbit. Some companies, including Apple, Facebook, Google, Intel, and Microsoft, now cover the cost of fertility treatments, in some cases including egg freezing, which can cost about $10,000 plus $500 to $1,000 a year for storage. Facebook, for example, is said to offer a $20,000 egg freezing benefit for women employees. So there is, so companies weird. are encouraging women to do this, and we don't know if it's going to kill them. I don't know. Something about that's there's, awfully there's strange. Or, there's organ donor registries for every organ. If you donate a kidney or a part of your kidney, mm -hmm. if you donate bone marrow, if you donate anything else, you're monitored. You know, yeah. there's there's a follow up process. Yeah. There's no follow up. This is so sketchy, the way yeah. egg donation is done. And you would think that it would be way more, I don't know, controlled, I guess, or or professional uh, the way that it's gone about. But or at least research nobody seems something. to give a shit once they got the eggs. Yeah, it's strange. Follow up. I think it's I think it's strange. Yeah, I think it's strange too. So, um, ladies, beware and try not to tell people they should really freeze their eggs because it's not a trivial procedure. And if you're thinking about it, look into it before you do it. Yeah, because, know what you're talking yeah. <laughs> about before you recommend something. But guess what? Nobody knows what they're talking about when it comes to this. So maybe you shouldn't suggest it. Yeah. I'm not saying don't do it, especially if you want to have a baby, but be informed of the risk. Yeah, There's more coming up. Informed consent is very important. Woo! Speaking of informed consent, Woo. I would like to inform you about some audiobooks that I've done. <laughs> that was terrible. What kind of consent for audiobooks? <laughs> All right, let's do it. Well, they consent when they buy the audiobook. I guess so. I agree. That little checkbox. You won't get any further if you don't. That's consent for you. That's right. Yeah. Well, that's not really consent. But, <laughs> yeah. But if you go to audible.com and you want my voice in your ears and you consent mm. to that, you can uh, search my name, Stephanie Murphy. I want you to check out Getting Screwed, Sex Workers and the Law. It's a really interesting book with testimonials and stories from the people who make the world go around sex workers about what it's like to work in their profession. And it's really interesting. So audible.com, Stephanie Murphy. Now back to the show. Hey, it's sex and science hour. We are just uh, speeding along tonight. We're a little short on time, but that doesn't mean you don't get a show. That's not your problem. Yeah, that's right. It's our problem. <laughs> exactly. If there's a problem. Yo, I'll solve it. Oh, oh no. Check out the hook. Well, my DJ. <laughs> Whoa. Vanilla Ice. All right. <laughs> so, Brian. DJ Murphy, yeah. That's right. Dr. DJ Murphy. So, Brian, we're in the sex segment, and we're going to get right down to it. This is something that was sent in to me by a listener of the show. And by the way, if you have show prep and you want to uh, give us a clue, you can go to 
our website, which is sexandsciencehour.com, there's a contact tab. You can click on that and send us anonymous email. So that's great for show prep, for um, for listener questions. We need a listener question for every show now because we put in a segment for it. So send in yours. Uh, Sexandsciencehour.com. Click on the contact link at the top menu. Um, but this is from Cognitive Dissident, who often writes us about sex robots. And that's what we're going to be talking about this show, Sexbot, <laughs> a new study about sex bots and what we might see in the future, in the not so distant future. All right. Okay. So there's been a new study uh, on sex robots from, and this is from uh, CNET by Ryan Christ, from delivery drones to automated cars, robots are on the rise. And that includes bots you can have sex with, thanks to the growing number of companies working to bring artificially intelligent sex dolls to the masses. The Foundation for Responsible Robotics, which calls for accountable innovation for the humans behind the robots, sees sexualized robots creeping up on the horizon. So it put together a comprehensive report on the subject. So the, the Foundation for Responsible Robotics has done a study and put out a report about sex robots. Sounds like a very sketchy and foundation. We, right. <laughs> well, maybe not. I don't know anything about this organization. Sure. So they, maybe they are or maybe they really are trying to have responsible robotics. I think it's a good idea to have at least some watchdogs for the industry, right? Don't you? Uh, watchdogs, yes. As okay. long as they're not government I don't know if this yeah. organization is a watchdog. I don't know anything about them, like I said. But sure. And that certainly the name could be misleading, right? Like maybe they're calling themselves that, the Foundation for Responsible Robotics, but they're really like, you know, <laughs> yeah. very irresponsible practices are, the, are being promoted or whatever. I'll, I'll tell you, one of the worst or one of the most wasted business names in history is U.S. Robotics. Uh, because they don't do robotics at all. They made modems in the nineties. Oh my the, gosh. Really? That's yeah, funny. But why it's wasted is because that was the name of the company in Isaac Asimov's classic robot series. Oh. And so it's like, Oh, and all you guys do is make modems. What the fuck? You know, but anyway, Dynecorp or whatever. D- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Someone could call their company Cyberdyne. that. Yeah. Cyberdyne. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway, this is a summary of of their report from CNET. And now we have talked about sex robots a lot of times on the show in the past. I think our opinions on them are easily summarized. You know, we're not really afraid of them, but we're also not like super excited about them for us. Um, maybe for other people, they could bring some benefits, but, um, married couples, like I always say, that's going to be the big market. Yeah. I don't know if I would really, I think it would be really fun to have a threesome with a sex robot. I don't know. Like, I feel like I would really want, a real person. But oh, yeah. That's just me. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> let's get into what this study said. So here are the major findings, and then we'll break down each one. First one is sex robots skew toward men, but women are interested too. Second one, social acceptance of the fantasy will be key for adoption. Third one, the table is set for sex robot brothels. Fourth one, we don't know what impact sex robots will have on gender stereotypes, like objectifying women. And then the fifth one, Sex robots could lead to greater social isolation. Oh, there's more. Six, sex robots could hold therapeutic value. Mm. And seven, there's reason to doubt sex robots could help reduce sex crimes. That's six and seven in particular are very interesting. Okay, so let's break them down. They're pretty short. Sex robots. First one is sex robots skew toward men, but women are interested too. The report cites a number of studies on whether people would have sex with a robot. And I think we've talked about some of those on the show before. Yeah. But this is the latest. Okay. The latest and greatest. And it points to a wide range of responses. For instance, 9% 
9% of respondents to a Huffington Post survey expressed interest in the idea. Another survey found 66% of men and about 33% of women would want to give sex bots a go. Still another poll found that 86% of respondents believed a robot would, a would be able to satisfy their sexual desires, suggesting potential for the market to grow as attitudes towards sex robots evolve. So basically, what is that really saying? It depends, to me, that says it depends on how you ask the question. Mm -hmm. <laughs> is what people say yeah. that they would have sex with a robot or not. I mean, as we've said many times, every time we come, we discuss the subject, it comes up. Um, vibrators are sex robots. So if you've ever had sex with a vibrator, it's a sex robot. You've right. already done it. Calm down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Social acceptance of the fantasy will be key for adoption. The report also examines what future relationships with sex robots might look like and draws comparisons to professional sex workers, many of whom say, according to the report, that high-paying clients often want to drink, socialize, and do drugs together to form the pretense of a relationship in addition to having sex. So people are looking for more than just the sex from a sex worker. They want to hang out and party a little bit. Yeah. And that's what sex workers call it. I was just mentioning my audiobook. Um, getting screwed sex workers in the law yeah and what it has a lot of stories and anecdotes from sex workers and they, they would all that's what they call it they would say they're partying with a client right and, and there is like a good amount of partying involved sure um so can sex robots do that yeah not not that well probably yeah i mean that's a lot of extra programming that's, that's for sure yeah that's it a lot is. of extra features like you always say we are far away from artificial general intelligence yes not that you have to be that intelligent to party but it's it's something <laughs> that argue you don't have to be at all <laughs> well right but it's like for a robot to be able to do that it does require a lot of extra programming yep. you know you need some conversational skills you need some motor skills you need some uh, different, different motors because you're probably gonna have to dance among other things right yep yep i mean some flirtation perhaps Sure. So there's a lot more involved than just literally sucking and fucking motions, you know. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that is going to be something that sex robots lack. While the technology needed to make sex robots into drinking buddies is likely a long way off, the report points to men who say they've formed emotional connections with inanimate dolls. These sorts of fictive relationships are a little bit like imaginative play, the report says, and social acceptance of these kinds of relationships will be needed for more people to feel comfortable entering into them. So it's going to have to be socially acceptable to take a literal doll out for dinner before people will start to do it. That's what they're saying. Well, I think I, I, I want to say it's worse. It's much worse than what they just okay. described because you don't even Why? need the doll. And I want to I want this to be kind of an ending point uh, when we're done with the list. But you don't even need the doll. People get attached to chatbots. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you know, just on their phone. Chatbots, or they say they do. Yeah, absolutely. So, so do. you know, the body's not even required, and I think that has a grander perspective to bring on here. But let's continue with the list. Yeah, that's so interesting. All right, the table is set for sex robot brothels. In another of the many surveys cited in the report, respondents were asked if sex, sex robots were an acceptable substitute for prostitutes. On a scale of one to seven, with one being unacceptable and seven being acceptable, the survey results averaged out to a perhaps surprisingly high six. So people said, yeah, six out of seven, they're as good as a real hooker. Wow. Yep. Okay. This, coupled with the fact that bordellos of inanimate sex dolls are already on the rise in Asia, leads the authors of the report to conclude that sex robot brothels might be a logical next step. Nah, well, here's what I think that really says is just how people think of hookers, and that's disturbing. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I I've never been to a brothel. Mm-hmm. I've never patronized a sex worker. Sure, but I mean, I know that you know if you go to a strip club and you're going to the VIP room. Or if you go to one of the brothels in Nevada or like when, where it's legal in other parts of the world, in Europe or whatever, you know, it's not just getting down to business always. Like there is partying that goes on sometimes. Some of those brothels in Nevada have like hot tubs and pools and like whole rooms where you can go and like play. And oh, they it's have an like experience. A bar and they have a table for dinner. And there's, yeah, it's a whole experience. Yeah. There's, it's, there's a little bit more to it than just the sex. I'm sure there are places where it is just the sex, but. I mean, what about like a like a like a Jack Shack? You know, we go get sure. a massage and then it has a happy ending. I mean, I guess you could I guess a, a robot could do that. There's I mean, we, you know, we've sat in massage chairs. Yeah, <laughs> I suppose you could have a chair that does that. But I don't know. I think that <sighs> when it's a person, there's more variation and there's something that people would like about that. Yeah, I feel like just that that statistic alone does not bode well for a how most humans think about sex and b how they think about sex workers. I, I that just seems to me like it's all negative. I think you know? that's the thing that people really fear about sex robots or dislike about them or find distasteful or disturbing is that you can't have that element of human connection with a doll, mm-hmm. a sex robot. And so I think people kind of rightly see it as a little bit dehumanizing. You know, that if you get used to that type of interaction where there's no human connection, are you going to then translate that and apply it to the next human that you interact with? Is it dehumanizing towards all things that resemble those sex robots, i.e. real people? Yeah, I think it's already happening in reverse. I mean, you know, sadly, but what do you mean in reverse? Uh, Well, just my the point I've made is that I think. This is they're treating the robots how they think human how they think of humans how they already ways. treat other yeah. people. Well, that's possible too, yeah. I guess. Um, but I think that is like the biggest fear that people have sure. deep down about sex robots is that it's depersonalizing and dehumanizing, right? And that that might be applied to them at some point. And that leads into the next point: we don't know what impact sex bots will have on gender stereotypes. The report point the report points out that there's no question creating humanoid sex robots based on pornographic representations of female anatomy objectifies women. Still, it asserts much of sexual societies already feed off of that sort of objectification. And it goes on to suggest sex robots could ultimately serve more to reinforce existing mindsets than to create new ones. There's not a lot of research here, though, especially with regard to underrepresented communities. So are they, they're basically saying that there's an argument that, oh, well, if people see these these pornographic sex robots with huge tits and lips and it's like, is that going to lead them to objectify real women and think that all women are meant to serve their sexual pleasure like these robots are? But then there's a counter argument to that saying that, hey, we're just create kit catering to the demand of the marketplace sure we already have porn and porn portrays women in that same way and men sometimes or femmes or whatever mm-hmm. and you know we're just reacting to we're just responding to what people are looking for yeah i so two sides of this i mean i think that that's partly true but also i think what's going to be a huge part of this industry because i'll tell you one of the things that would sell one of these robots to me is if it was like uh, an orion animal woman from star trek or if it was a vulcan 
you know, and I could act out that the how sweet program of Vulcan Love Slave 3 or something like that. I think so, that's a great use for um, sex robots is to achieve unattainable fantasies. Exactly. Like, yes. for example, if you want to have sex with an alien and a human in a costume can't achieve that. Yeah. Or if you want to have sex with a, a centaur or something like a mythological creature or a giant, something that's really big. Yeah. You know? If these are to help with fantasies, the very nature of fantasy is the fantastical. Mm -hmm. And so... I, I, I understand the point, but I think what's going to be far more popular are the wild and the crazy and the impossible for a biological creature to do, uh, or to look like or something like that. Uh, so I don't see this as too much of a concern, but I get it. I get the concern. I certainly don't want to be insensitive to it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's impossible to separate out the sort of unattainable fantasies from the attainable fantasy sex robots. Sure. You know, the, the, the ones that look a lot like real humans. Sure. Uh, robots could lead to greater social isolation. Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of a a no-brainer. They're expressing concern that sex robots can desensitize users to intimacy and empathy. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I think if you are thinking of a robot as a replacement for a relationship, you've already got problems with social isolation and empathy. But I, what do I know about that? But yeah. maybe some people really do, and that's nothing against them. They just... they don't have the equipment in their brain to have those kinds of relationship, like an empathetic relationship. Yeah. So this is the next best thing that they can experience. Yeah. I have comments on that, but I want to go to the next one because I think the comments will address both. Okay. So the next two are the two that you really wanted to talk about. Okay. Sex robots could hold therapeutic value and there's reason to doubt that sex robots could help reduce sex crimes. So the therapeutic value, the report goes on to discuss the potential therapeutic value of sex robots for people with social disorders or physical disabilities, or even the elderly. There's some history to draw from here, namely nursing homes that use semi-robotic dolls to provide companionship for their residents, including patients suffering from Alzheimer's disease. Still, there are ethical questions with regard to dolls like these, even before you bring sex into the picture. Some authors argue that they infantilize the elderly, and others question whether those suffering from mental disabilities can truly provide informed consent. Well, those are all really good points. I mean, I think you could say the same thing about an elderly person with dementia as you could about a person with an intellectual disability, mm -hmm. is that can they really give informed consent? Well, those are adults with sexual feelings, and they don't stop being sexual when they get dementia or if right. they have an intellectual dis disability. So they can consent in their own way, but they are that is a population that's really prone to abuse because people take advantage of them sure. that have power over them. And they're like, they're supposed to be their caretakers and protecting them from sexual abuse, but they're actually taking advantage. So, I mean, I think that. I think that if you give a, an elderly person who's really lonely and perhaps a little demented a doll as a companion and they fuck the doll, they're going to fuck the doll, right? Yep. If they want to, you know, yep. so they're going to do it anyway. You might as well give them the doll they can fuck and make the end of their life happy. That's yeah. the way I feel about it. Yeah, no, I, don't I, know. I, Tell me I, if I I'm think wrong. that's valid. Um, so what do you think about the therapeutic value? I mean, I. I think there's no question that's one of the strongest arguments for sex robots. Yeah, I I can see that, but um, I I want to go on to the next one because I, I think there's like a grand there's a there's a there's a grand overarching point. Yes, okay, I can yeah, see the wheels turning in Brian's mind. You say that a lot. That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> it must be happening. I was reading about our Myers Briggs personality type, which we share the same one. INTJ. Yeah, I wasn't going to say it. I was going to let people guess. Oh but. <laughs> well. <laughs> but but it said that we you know our cognitive processes are such that or the primary cognitive processes that we use 
are such that we're constantly observing the world based on past and current events and we're trying to fit everything into a grand scheme and we're extremely aware of contradictions <laughs> boy i'll say yeah i think that's totally accurate anyway so here's the last point there's reason to doubt sex robots could help reduce sex crimes the report cites controversial suggestions that sex robots could ultimately be used to stem the rise of sexual assault, rape, and pedophilia by providing people predisposed to those acts with a non-human outlet. In addition to questioning the legality of such dolls, specifically those that depict, depict children, the report's authors expressed skepticism about the proposed benefits and even questioned whether they could actually encourage harmful behavior. This is one that I don't know what to think about either. Yeah, so this one's weird. This raises one point. It's not part of that overarching scheme. Or, okay. Or well, first address the one point and then do the overarching scheme. All right. So, so part of the problem here is that I think a lot of times, like, people become obsessive. Not like, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know necessarily the mind of rapists exactly. I mean, I've read some books yeah. on, on the issue, but a lot of times they talk about it's not like that they just want sex. Usually, like, there's a very specific person that they they're going. They want power. Yeah, yeah. And then it's, it's very specific person. Now, can they get a robot made of that person? Um, well, with virtual reality, yeah, that's going to be possible. Aha. So you're, you're hitting on part of the grand scheme oh. here. But, but the thing is, is that like, what if they, what if it is just robots? Are they going to be able to get that? I mean, that's going to be one of the biggest arguments around, uh, sex robots is who get, you know, who gets access to them? Not who gets access. But who gets to be made in whose likeness? Like, uh, like what likenesses yeah. get to get well, used they said on they, these sex They robots. weren't even sure if child sex robots would be legal to make. Right. And I think there's a strong case for that, that they wouldn't be legal. Because, sure. you know, certainly uh, countries are not going to care about free speech. You know, nation states, they prohibit child porn in other forms. And then they would probably consider this the same. Right. Okay. So I like to give a little bit. You know, we've covered sex robots many times, and I, I like to give something new and not say the same thing the whole yeah, time. Yeah, I like to. Okay, because one of my main points too. that I bring up is that uh, the the big market for sex robots is going to be married couples. Okay, I don't think that's one of the markets for sex workers too. Is threesomes? Yes, by the way, right. I don't think that sex robots are ever going to be socially acceptable for single people, ever. Like, I, I don't I always think that that if, if you open up somebody's closet, you're having an actual real woman or guy over and there's a sex robot in there. That's not going to be seen as OK. That's going to be seen as like messed up in the head or something along those lines, hmm. in my opinion. Now, so because of that, what I really think is going to be the winner with single people and that includes maybe more of the deranged, like we described in point seven there or whatever it was, Um you're going to end up with, and I think it's the more practical, less expensive idea would be to just have, especially for guys, just have a fucking cod piece, okay, that has that cyber dildonics that has some kind of like, you know, effect where it makes it feel like you're fucking a gal. And you're going to put on, just like we were talking about with the office space, you're going to put on a helmet. And you're going to see a gal in VR. virtual reality that you're going to be stooping right there. Mm -hmm. And because that's going to be the socially acceptable thing and the thing that you can hide that's going to be sitting around. Yeah, I, I agree. People have enough problems with, uh, they have judgments about single people who have sex toys. Yeah, and that's going to solve the problem, too, of likenesses and all that. Because yeah. then you're just going to do whatever you it's want. Gonna Nobody's going to know. Yeah, it's going to be like listening to an audiobook on a train. Nobody's going to know what you're listening to. Yeah, I mean, instead of skeletons in the Except closet. Except the VR companies that's going to know everything about your sexual fetish. <laughs> right, right. So instead of se skeletons, it'll be sex robots in the closet. But anyway. 
Yeah. All right. Well, we're into segment four now. Oh, okay. We talked right in. Yeah, we sure did. And segment four is when we talk about our listener questions. And I've got a question here for us. So uh, this is about, do you have to tell someone you're trans before dating them? Oof. Anita Woodcock writes in. Anita Woodcock. <laughs> Thanks, Anita. <laughs> uh, Anita says, uh, well, first she sent two articles um, from the Odyssey Online. No, I don't have to tell you I'm trans before dating you, okay. which was an article that went around on social media this week that was kind of popular. Okay. And a response to that that Anita says is worth reading uh, yes, you absolutely do need to tell someone you're trans before dating them. And if I were to sum up these two articles, I would sum them up like this. The original article is, no, I don't have to tell you I'm trans before dating you. It's, uh, it's basically a think piece about, you know, there was an incident where, um, a woman, a trans woman was brutally murdered after she went on a date with somebody, a, uh, a, a cis, straight male i guess mm -hmm. um who also was a military member a u.s marine and um when he found out that she was a trans woman he he killed her he murdered her in wow. a brutal way yeah and a lot of people were outraged about this but it's there's this idea that he has um he has a reason to be pissed off because she wasn't honest with him that she was a trans woman yeah. yeah, I know. I don't share that idea. Right. But it's an idea that some people have. Absolutely. And it's almost like it's almost like this idea of gay panic. There used to be like a literally a legal defense. It would work in court if you said, oh, my God, this gay guy, if a straight man said, oh, my God, this man tried to hit on me and I had no choice but to beat him up. You know, it's the yeah. same thing. It's trans panic. Right. Yeah. This person didn't tell me that they had a penis. I thought they were a real woman. So I have the right to get violent with them. And I, I don't think there's any excuse for that. Violence is not an answer to solve problems, you know, especially a communication problem like this, right? Maybe it's not your preference to date a trans woman if you're a straight person, but, you know, use your words, right? Don't use your fists. Yeah. So, um, the, so that was what the, the thing was about. And it was saying, well, why should it be on trans people to have to basically defend themselves from being killed? And come out to everybody as trans before they date them. Shouldn't there just be more acceptance of trans people as the, the gender that they choose? Yeah, right. Right. And so that's the argument in the first article. Now, the response to that says, basically, no, it's not. Yes, you do have to tell someone you're trans before dating them because people have preferences and they might have a preference. The person you you are potentially dating might have a preference to not be with a trans uh, partner, a trans woman or a trans man. And that's okay for them to have that preference. And if you don't respect their preference, you're not hearing their no means no. Basically, no means no. And it's rapey to expect somebody to um, to change their preference or to go against their preferences for you because uh, because you are trans. So, yes, you do have to tell someone. And then they also sort of say, like, honesty is the best policy, right? You should always be honest about it. But then the response to that is like, well, okay, maybe it'd be easier to be honest if people weren't so violent about it. It's not safe for trans people to come out everywhere. So sometimes they can't just be on. It's not as simple as just be honest, right? Mm -hmm. Because it can be dangerous to be honest. 
So anyway, that, those are sort of a very brief summary of some of the arguments that were going around. Now, here's what Anita says. Anita says, feel free to ignore my ranting below if and when this is dis discussed on the show, but I'm not opposed to hearing your thoughts on that as well. While thinking about these two articles, something that I often think about came into my head, and I just want to share because there's no other place I can really. For my thought experiment, let's just pretend that every person in the world accepts that when a person transitions from male to female or vice versa, that they become completely their new gender, which I accept, but I know many don't. In that world, wouldn't the person who makes the full transition no longer technically be a transgender person? By that point, they have made the transition 100%. And in this case, they wouldn't be keeping anything from their partner other than that they used to be a different gender, I suppose. I guess that could still be seen as being dishonest. But plus, the, the possibility of having biological children is an issue that could come up if the non-trans partner went into the relationship not knowing. I was just letting my mind wander. Mainly, I was thinking how a fully transitioned person could technically not be a transgender person anymore. Do they even need to transition surgically to change gender? The operation just takes care of the genital situation, right? The biological sex doesn't really change, right? At least not yet. That's all. So Anita, I guess, is asking, like, if you're trans and you've transitioned, or maybe if, even you, if you've not transitioned, shouldn't you just be the other gender? Could, aren't you just, shouldn't you just be considered what you transitioned to? And shouldn't you, should you be considered no longer a trans person? Now, I accept that trans women are women mm -hmm. me too period yeah and trans men are men yeah whether or not they've gone through any kind of transition or whatever if you're you're a trans woman you're a woman as far as i'm concerned yeah um but i don't think you're not a trans person and here's why because being transgender being born as and assigned a certain gender at birth and treated that way, our society treats kids differently from the moment they're born. From the moment they say it's a boy or it's a girl, sometimes even before birth, yeah. they start treating the fetus differently <laughs> if they know it's a boy or a girl. And that affects you. It affects you, who you are as a person. It affects your experiences. If you feel like you are living for a certain period of your life as being in the wrong body, if you feel any dysphoria, or if you get made fun of or beat up or experience violence of any kind that all is part of you because it's part of your experiences and it affects you and you can't just get you can't just erase that if you transition your gender you know sure so yes you are still a trans person because you had that experience it'll always be a part of your life i get your point yeah, yeah that's what i think and now is that something you have to share with a partner I don't know. I mean, I don't really feel comfortable saying because I'm a cisgender person. I've never felt, I, I guess like, maybe that's not true. I've definitely felt gender issues, but I've never felt like I'm a man trapped in a woman's body. Mm -hmm. I've always felt like, you know, when, when Stephanie was born, they said it's a girl. I pretty much feel like a girl <laughs> most of the time. And lately I embrace feeling like a girl. Mm -hmm. Whatever that means to me. I know it means different things to different people. That's another whole suitcase to unpack. But anyway, um, I'm not a trans person, so I have, have not had to deal with this issue. I do think it's a good idea to be upfront and honest about your past experiences with partners. But at the same time, you don't owe them a whole life history before you go on a date with somebody. For example, if you have some things about your past that you're, you know, you feel... Like maybe you experienced abuse. Mm -hmm. Maybe you used to live in a different country. Maybe you 
whatever. And you don't want to share that with your partner before the first date. I don't, I think that's fine. I don't think you owe them your whole life history. Yep. Um, but for transgender, you know, when there's a possibility of violence being involved, I can certainly see why a person would be afraid to come out as transgender. And they might want the, the dating partner to get to know them first before they share that information, mm -hmm. you know, or they might want to get it out of the way up front. So they get rid of the transphobes. It's hard for me to say, but I do know that there aren't like, I think some people think that there are these hordes of angry, sex crazed transgender people that are just begging to date these transphobic cisgender people mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what i mean there's yeah. a lot of straight guys out there who just are paranoid that oh my god a trans woman might want to date me and she really has a penis and she's gonna fool me and that's gonna be really bad and fraudulent and blah 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 and yes i recognize that they on one hand they have a preference that they don't want to date a trans woman okay fine they can have that preference mm -hmm. and it's okay but at the same time they have to realize that those trans people are not desperate to date them they're not so desperate that they're going to try to be fooling you and be after you all the time and be aggressively hitting on you i think transgender people want to date somebody who accepts them and who not who's afraid of them sure yeah and not I, just anybody <laughs> yeah absolutely i mean i think this is a common thing and, and i've heard it when i was a christian from other christians uh that you know they they really do think that like gay people for example yeah get up in the morning and think how can we destroy the social fabric of Western yeah. civilization? Now, let me tell you something. Look, gay people don't, they don't do that. I do. No. Gay people don't. Okay. But I, I certainly, you know, wake up thinking that. <laughs> oh, what do you mean uh, by that? <laughs> I really don't think so. I think you get up in the morning and, and work and have your coffee. And work. <laughs> well, anyway, um, as, as far as like having to tell people that, you know, you're having to announce that you're trans or something like that. Uh, this is ridiculous. Like this is, on so many levels, and I know some people are going to make an argument that there's differing degrees here. I don't agree with that, and I'll explain why. Okay, if you have a preference for blondes, if somebody uses hair coloring, they have no fucking responsibility to tell you right. that they're using hair coloring. Mm -hmm. That's ridiculous. Okay, if, I mean, you might as, if you're the kind of person who's like, well, you know, they need to tell me that I'm transgender. You better start complaining, bitching and moaning and suing everybody, everybody on Facebook dyes their hair. or everybody that dyes their hair, everybody that puts on makeup, everybody that, that uses their bullshit pictures where it's just their face, and not their whole body because they're afraid she'll rest off. OK, on Facebook, like you've got a whole lot of people you got to get angry at before you get to the point zero one percent of the population mm -hmm. of planet Earth that's transgender. What about breast implants? I've seen people get really mad right? about that. Oh, my God, her boobs aren't real. Well, really? You liked them a minute ago. Yeah. Oh, you didn't mind looking at them. But now, <laughs> right. oh, I see. I see. And and now here's the reason why. Because what people are going to say, well, look, makeup, you know, ha putting on makeup and ending up having a dick when I thought you had a, had a vagina are, are is a very different story. No, the fuck it's not. And here's the reason is because you're the one with the screwed up head because sex is more than penis in vagina. That's the thing. That's that's what these people miss. Sorry, it is. Get, but I mean, flip, flip the genders for a minute, right? Sure. What if somebody is a lesbian mm -hmm. and they're a cisgender woman and they only want a partner who has is a woman and has a vagina? They see the penis as an instrument, as a weapon. There's some people who really yes. feel this way. I'm not making this argument in a facetious way at all. Yeah. There are some lesbians who do not want to date a trans woman who has a penis 
because they see the penis as almost like a weapon because maybe they were raped or something like that. And they see the penis as the weapon that was used to perpetrate that crime. And I would not belittle that tragedy in any way, but I would hope that person would have a little more understanding of what exactly it's like to be oppressed in the society. Yeah. Okay. I don't uh, think it's those lesbians who are beating up um, trans women and killing sure. them. You know? No, right. I think it's more cisgender men dare i say it's it's men who are just say it yeah yeah uh i mean i i'd back that up but i'm just saying that like you've if you have a problem with but the lesbians certainly are nasty online about it they can be no doubt argue about it a lot yeah Uh, hell yeah um but my point is is that if you're if you have an issue with you know a person potentially false advertising you have a massive amount of population that you need to start getting mad about and angry about and yelling at long before you'll ever get to a single transgender person and again like i said part of the main issue with why the fact that that person has a dick is a problem is because again your 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 concept of sex of intercourse uh, or of pleasuring erotic pleasuring is really messed up like you're skewed you're basing it on porn yeah, maybe there's some homophobia in there to unpack as well, and misogyny yeah. and trans misogyny. Sex and science. We're coming up on the after show. Game over. Us now. Play again next week. Sex and science hour. See you next week. I just I can't stand bullies. I can't stand people that like. <laughs> I have zero tolerance for people with zero tolerance. Yeah, you know, like that's 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 really it. I know. I do too. I mean, I think if you go on a date with someone and there's a misunderstanding about what they've got in their pants, you know, it's just like oh, you know, no hard feelings. Yeah, but be gracious. I have a preference that my partner has a certain type of genitalia. You don't have that. I think we should just be friends. Yeah. I mean, that's you can all just, you have to do. You right. don't have to kill them. You don't have to beat them up. You don't no. have to get mad. It's just, okay, sorry. We had a misunderstanding. You know, thanks for your time. Just, that's emph- it. yeah, emphatically say, look, really, it is not you. It's me. You know, I mean, and be emphatic about it because everybody says that, right? But I mean, you know, <laughs> but you make it, make it very clear that no, really. And you can explain why. And I mean, we don't, you know, even if, like, I know honesty is always the best policy. I think that was said earlier. That's absolutely true. I know a lot of times it's hard because you don't want to hurt somebody's feelings or something like that. But boy, we got to start laying out a lot of honesty, especially when it comes to relationships. Cause I mean, either in the short term or in the long term, if that honesty is not there, it's going to end up hurting things, uh, you know, one way or the other. So there's going to be hurt if there is an honesty. Just, just accept that fact. Yeah. And, and go forward. The truth forward. has a way of coming out in the end anyway. Yeah. And you can, you, you just, I don't get it. You can be nice. I don't, I don't understand <laughs> like, yeah. why that's so hard. I mean, in fact, if anything, I think the, I think like transgender people or people that are part of oppressive groups and minorities and whatever, you'd think that they would be, you know, excited for someone to finally be kind to them. 
and honest to them, you know, with them and everything. I mean, I, I really think that they would appreciate that. So yeah, there's no need to be mean. Kind of like uh, uh, Buckaroo Banzai said, there's no need to be mean. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no need to be mean. Well, anyways, speaking of the truth coming out in the end, we actually had a, a reveal from our dictionary buyer from last week. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. Yeah, we got Do you want to read the email? We got an email from the dictionary buyer. Well, I asked the question. And the what question, was your question? My, the question was specifically with the dictionary of philosophy. Yes. I said, you let me know if Max Sterner's in there. Now, and they, they replied. Yeah, they and they replied to this. Go yes. for it. So a uh, dictionary buyer says the Oxford Dictionary of Philosophy 3E by Simon Blackburn has an entry on Max Stirner. Here's the entry. Stirner, Max, 1806 to 56. German firebrand. <laughs> Originally. <laughs> I love that. German firebrand. Yeah, that's pretty good. O- originally, G- Johann Kasper Schmidt. Stirner is remembered philosophically for Der Einziger Einsun. Yeah, it's the ego in its own. Yeah, the ego in its own. <laughs> <laughs> Der Einziger und sein Eigenthum. Way to go, Janish. Thank you. <laughs> the ego in its own. 1907. This was an attack on left Hegelians, particularly Feuerbach, and on the persistence of outright fictions in the theory of the state. It championed not so much psychological egoism as an ethic of self-mastery, autonomy, and freedom from the domination of society and other people. Woo! Preach! (laughs) Engels and Marx devoted a great deal of the German ideology to combating it. Oh, Engels and Marx wrote the German ideology. That's a book that came out. Yes. Where, like, half of it is Marx ripping the shit on... Max Stirner. On Max Stirner, which is ironic. I want to say why this is ironic, because a lot of egoists claim to be communists. Yeah. And when in Marx and Engels had to spend a lot of their early work debunking Stirner's work, um, how the fuck is, is egoism communism? Maybe he trolled them into replying. Oh, maybe. Well, yeah, well. so Engels knew. Engels hung out with Stirner. Uh-huh. You know, a lot of people don't know this. I mean, like, they were, I don't know that they were buddies, but they certainly literally drank together. Wow. Um, and this is a really key point to understand with Stirner. And, and this is what's great when it's not like Jesus where nobody else could really comment other than his own disciples. When you have somebody, when you have kind of a, an ideological uh, uh, a competitor around you that can comment on who you are, you can generally find some kind of truth in there. And there's a beautiful, there's a beautiful way that Engels describes Max Stirner. He calls him the peaceful enemy of all constraint. And I think that I love that. I, I wear that like a badge myself, you know, well, you know, not a, not a legal badge, Uh, (laughs) but I love that the peaceful enemy of all constraint, which is also ironic because I mean, they're calling him a firebrand. Yeah. He was an ideological firebrand. If Engels is calling him the peaceful enemy of all constraint, he's probably not going around starting fights, carrying weapons and, you know, being violent and everything. No, he wasn't, which is another thing that a lot of people, a lot of egoists like always attribute him to carrying an AK-47 or an M-16 or something and, and their memes and all this shit. And it's like, why wow, you fucking morons? He, he would never have done that. That's a spook. Yeah, the damn right. <laughs> yes. So, um, was there more? Uh, yeah. In recent years, Stirner's idiosyncratic writing has been heralded as anticipating both postmodern literary style and doctrinally the worry that notions like rationality and objectivity are disguises for an inheritance of oppression and domination by semi-religious categories. Mm. That's the entry. And then they say the dictionaries are just for my personal library. Right on. That's interesting. 
Well, well, thanks for doing your shopping through stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. Yeah, and thanks for responding to my question. Yeah. Um, And the reason that I asked it, actually, was because here's, in fact, I'll ask another question for you. Let me know if Hans Hermann Hoppe's in that dictionary. I fucking guarantee you he's not. (laughs) Let me know if even Rothbard's in there. I guarantee you he's not. And I should have said this last week. Neo-feudalist who believes in elite families. Right. And this is the thing, is because there's a lot of people who I could call my ideological competitors who tell me that, well, nobody takes Sterner seriously. No, you know, his stuff is a joke, blah, blah, blah. Really? No, Jack, your stuff is a joke because Sterner actually is considered even the term spook that, that a lot of these people hate. No, sorry. That's an academic term now. Okay. Not to say that I want to appeal to authority. But if we're going to talk about who has legitimacy, it sure as fuck isn't Hans Hermann Hoppe. It's not Rothbard. Go to, it's not even Ayn Rand. I mean, you'd be, I, Rand might be in there. Um, even though her, you know, she doesn't do like a full on philosophy, even though she claims that she does. And I like Rand. Don't, don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not knocking her. I'm just saying that she doesn't have the level of completeness that even Max Stirner would bring to four. Um, so I, I already kind of knew Stirner would be there because he is considered absolutely legitimate, a philosopher stem to no pun intended Stern. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, and it, it just, he's real. He's the, he's the real deal. You can talk about Stirner at the same time that you talk about Rousseau, anybody else, whatever. Anyway, uh, please continue. Well, anyway, okay. That was very interesting. I um, so. To explain what the fuck we're talking about in this after show, um, what are we doing here? Why are we even here? We didn't even get to that. Why is the show continuing beyond the one hour of Sex and Science Hour? Well, we do this every week. It's a, a chance for us to talk about and to, to, to sort of be voyeurs on your lifestyle because we have an Amazon affiliate link. It can be found at stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. That'll take you right to Amazon. And if you do your shopping through that link, we will see what was purchased. We won't see who bought it, but we'll see what was bought. And we'll be able to see a list of the stuff from the previous week or however long we choose. And we can talk about what was bought. And sometimes it leads to very interesting discussion. And it's also a way for us to support our show because every time you order something through our link, it doesn't cost you anything extra, but it gives us a little boost in terms of uh, financing our show. And I'm talking a little boost, but hopefully it'll be a big boost after a while. So tell all your friends, stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. And uh, yeah, we're just going to keep doing our after show. (laughs) And and everybody wins because we get uh, stuff to talk about. So anyway, what Brian, what do you think people bought this week on stuff.sexandsciencehour.com? Can you guess? Um, All right. Wait, I'm going to guess one. There'll be an album, Distant Worlds, Final Fantasy IV. Ooh, okay. Well, I really hope so. I haven't actually looked at all, all the right. items yet. So I'm just kind of toss that just out. Just kind of opening them up here as I go. Okay. <laughs> but uh, I already see a really interesting item for the first thing on the list. It says half and half gallon real milk paint. I couldn't tell if this is milk or paint, but I guess it's paint. <laughs> it right. says it's the pure, the perfect blend of pure tongue oil and citrus solvent. Half and half is a pre-mixed solution of pure tongue oil and pine oil, all natural wood finish and easy to use. I love tongue oil. Um, my dad used to do woodworking and he would finish all of his natural finished stuff with tongue oil. Ah. It's a great protectant for wood and it keeps the wood looking shiny and nice. And um, so basically this is a, a protective finish for wood. Nice. Very, very cool. And it looks like milk. I thought the person, I was bamboozled by this. I thought the person literally bought milk from Amazon. And I was like, God damn it, Jeff Bezos. 
You're beating the, <laughs> the f- farmers, the local farmers. What are they going to do with their cows it's now? It's a matter of time. <laughs> Somebody bought something called um, Biotics Research GTA 90C. And this is a uh, dietary supplement which contains selenium, porcine glandular concentrate, which is ground up thyroids and glands and pancreas, probably in adrenals of with that pigs. Stuff. Okay. Yep. That's right. You can put it in the sausage or you can put it in the vitamins. And rubidium and superoxide dismutase, which is an antioxidant enzyme. So uh, it's supposed to be for healthy endocrine function. I mean, that kind of makes sense. If you like people take uh, pig thyroid, it's called armor thyroid. It's yep. like a it's like an alternative to levothyroxine, which is like when thyroid hormone replacement. If you don't have a thyroid or if you're hypothyroid or whatever, Um so one of the reviewers said it helped to balance their thyroid. So I'm guessing this is like a, a thyroid thing. Yeah. Interesting. Very cool. Uh, somebody got some women's hybrid company, women's hyper stretch, comfy, skinny pants. These look cool. So these are like, you know, kind of like work pants, I guess. They look a little bit like jeans, but like more, less casual, like a little bit more fancy. And they got them in charcoal color. And they're like stretchy jeans that kind of hug your curves. Okay. Which you need. I mean, definitely very cool. And this is really, you know, a reasonable price. They they run from nine seventy four up to $25. So, ladies, good deals on some pants. It's pretty cool. I might get some of those. Somebody Ooh. got some Milwaukee six-in-one combination pliers. What are the six features? Well, a reaming head design, a bolt cutter thread, wire stripping, locking mechanism, Breast protection, well, that was only four. Um, well, I can't be bothered to look up the other two, but you get the point. <laughs> nice. Women's basic plain bras, pack of six, various styles. Okay. That's a pretty good deal. You get six bras for 10 to $35. Wow, wow. that's pretty good. That is it doesn't a deal. say what size they were, but this is like t-shirt bras. So they're made out of cotton. They're, you know, they hold your boobs up, okay? That's what they do. Probably not triple D. Um, well, I can't tell. I don't know what size yeah. they were. All right. Um, they had, they only have certain sizes. There's a lot of different bra sizes. So for, so guys or anybody who doesn't have boobs, if you don't know about bra sizes, they have two numbers. The first is a number and the second one is a letter. The number is, I think it's the centimeters or it's some measurement of the length of fabric that goes around your body underneath your boobs. And then the letter A, B, C, D, and so on is the number of inches difference from the measurement under your boobs to the highest point of your boobs that sticks out from your chest. So basically it's the difference between, it's the delta, (laughs) if you will, the difference between no boob and boob. So like how much boob do your boobs add? How much boob sticks out? (laughs) It's given a letter. All right. Anyway, so this six pack of bras had six different colors and they're very nice colors. There's like, you know, black, gray, pink, green, kind of olive drab color. Very nice. Um, well, somebody was shopping for their wardrobe here because we got dream pairs, classic fancy women's ballet, uh, shoes, slip on flats for under 20 bucks. That's a steal because somebody got them in like a peach color. The Murray Idler pulley. Two and three quarter inch diameter for lawnmowers. So it's a lawnmower pulley. That's an interesting item. Okay. Wow. 
Then we had the Philips Sonicare E-Series replacement toothbrush heads for sensitive teeth. We had a two-pack of those. Um, those are available. You can get a subscription to those. I have a subscription to those because I use an electric toothbrush. And, you know, I, I don't know if this is like planned obsolescence, but the heads definitely wear out after a couple of months. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I just get one new ones delivered to me. And then, you know, hopefully hope and pray that everything goes okay with my teeth. <laughs> <laughs> Spray and pray. Yes, that's right. (laughs) Did you know that Tesla makes men's shorts? Well, it's not that Tesla. Oh, (laughs) it's not Elon Musk. I wouldn't have been surprised. There may be some ego on that guy. I'm sure he's. (laughs) I mean, he's compensating all over the place. I wouldn't be surprised. And its own. (laughs) And its own Musk. Well, all right, all right. Wait one second. One second. So the one thing I will give Elon Musk credit for. Yes, what is the one thing? Is that he runs his business, his businesses, according to what he says anyway. In And in fact, I wrote an article about this a couple of years ago uh, in the style of what Max Stirner calls the union of egoists. Um, and, you know, I said, look, I was like, Elon's not an anarchist, but the way that he's running businesses where it's kind of decentralized, different teams, almost works like a sociocracy is exactly what Sterner was describing with the union of egoists to, to a degree. Uh, so I'll wow, give him that. That's interesting. Does he read? Do, do you know if he's a fan of Sterner? Uh, probably not a fan of Sterner. If he, if he was a fan of Sterner, he's doing it like really wrong or he misinterpreted <laughs> him. But, uh, okay. Just cause I don't think, well, I don't know. Maybe Sterner would have taken all that government cheese, but, uh, <laughs> but. <laughs> Because Elon Musk <laughs> takes a lot of government cheese. Okay, that's going to be the title of our show. Did Sterner take the government cheese? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it, it, it'd get better better uh, click rates if it was Elon Musk took the government cheese. But anyway, well, whatever. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll figure that out after. Well, the Musk in your pants is the Tesla Men's Active Sport Shorts Performance Hyper Dry 2 with pockets. They're uh, under $14. Somebody got gray ones, but they come in pink, green. Woo! Um, forest green, navy blue, and assorted other colors. I'll so take them in basic, pink. You know, cool. Oh, I'll get you some pink shorts. Yeah. And then, uh, somebody got another one in light gray. Same thing. And the rest, well, one more item here. Somebody got 10 inch drinking straws, 250 <laughs> straws in red for 10 bucks. That's pretty good. All right. All right. Well, if you to want your to, health. to your health, cheers, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to another great episode of Sex and Science Hour. If we'll we don't back. say so ourselves. We'll be back at you next week. In the meantime, sexandsciencehour.com. Go shopping at stuff.sexandsciencehour.com to get on our after show. And send us email through our website, too. Hope to hear from you. Have a great week.